Why don't you lift your hands on, this yeah. morning to the yeah. King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, whose word is unshakable. Amen. When he speaks, it causes our spirits yeah. to rise Amen. this morning. Jesus. Yeah. 
you lift a shout of gratitude to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Start to worship Him this morning.
Come join with us this morning. We've seen a faithful hand. Your mercy
Oh, so-
you are here with us this morning. It's such a, a blessing to have you worshipping Jesus with us this morning. Thank you uh, as a church family that you've, um, just the love that you've poured out over this time. Mihi was um, one of the foundation members of this church and uh, she was a woman that um, loved people and uh, loved seeing people one for Christ. And uh, so um, she is a dear loss to us, but again in heaven. Amen. And uh, if you are visiting with us today, maybe it's your first or second time here, as Dave said, we want to warmly welcome you. And after the service today, we've got a visitor lounge. We would love to meet you. We'd love to have a coffee with you. Love to get to know you personally. It's really important to us that we get to know people and who they are. I just want to shout out to those that have had a birthday or wedding anniversary. Why don't you just put your hands up? We do have a carrot for you. <laughs> here comes. Oh, no. No, we've got chocolates for you. So why don't you lift your hand? Jan Linnell was 75 on Thursday. And she just, what an amazing woman she is. A real trooper in the church. Is there anyone else you've had a birthday this week? Peter, wonderful. Happy birthday. What about wedding anniversaries? We love to celebrate here. We love to celebrate you. We love to celebrate the journey that you are on, and the journey you're on together, and the journey we're on together with Christ. Oh, why don't we just check out and see what's coming? Good morning and welcome to church. This is Bay City News. A very special welcome today to Pastor Shane Willard. Hey ladies, the date for your next year event has been changed and will now be held on Friday the 9th of June. So mark this new date in your diaries and watch out for more details heading your way. 
Operation Hope is back for the month of May, and we are asking for packaged and powdered beverages like coffee, tea, and rara. Look out for the bins in the foyer, and thank you for all your generous contributions. Laying foundations for your life with Jesus. You are invited to join Grant and Wendy on this new Christian Foundations course starting Sunday, May 28th at 2pm. If you are interested, head to the Ask Me Desk to register today. Coming this May, Hawks Bay Elijah House presents Healing Shape Restoring Glory Conference with Sandra Kirsten. This conference will be held here at Bay City on Friday the 19th of May and Saturday the 20th of May. There is no charge for this conference, but an offering will be taken. Come along and have your life transformed by God. Next Sunday is our special Mother's Day service. Have you invited your mum or a mum you know yet? This is going to be a great morning with spot prizes, gifts for mum, baby dedications and much more. Also, just a reminder that next lunch will not be running and will be back in June. Join us tonight for our exciting night church service with Pastor Shane Miller. We don't want to miss this. That's all for Bay City News. Enjoy the service. So we've got Mother's Day coming up next week and you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a fantastic service. We've also got baby dedications happening in the service. So if you haven't registered your child or your baby and you'd like to dedicate them to the Lord that day, it's a great day to do it. And uh, so come along, bring um, a mother with you. Bring somebody. Um, if you don't have, your, if your mother is not here in town or your mother is, um, is not with you or is not alive, bring somebody who is a mother figure for you. Bring somebody that you could, uh, that you could bless on Mother's Day. Why don't you, today you would have received um, an invitation card that is not for you to put on your fridge, it's for you to give away. Why don't you give it away to somebody and bring them along next week that we would bless them. Let's get on our feet. Lord Jesus.
Okay, if you don't take like following a Bible, Ruth chapter 1, we're going to get there first. Ruth chapter 1, and then we're going to take a few little detours and make this thing, make this thing happen. For those of you who don't know me... Psychology. 
So, um, yeah, be careful what you say to me because I'm qualified to sort your head out, right? Be careful. I can, I can see through all that stuff. Um, uh, it, on your way out today, uh, there is a gigantic resource table set up in the back left. If you can't find my resource table, seek medical help. It's taking up half the room back there, okay? And, and if you look at that and you think, oh, why are you carrying all that around with you? The answer is because uh, I make a lot of money from it. Right? And, the, and the reason we do that is because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die, but we are called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. So um, 100% of the profit that we use from that goes to um, an orphanage in China that looks after mentally handicapped children. We actually have three of them there, um, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that has uh, been officially recognized by the Department of Justice as a, as a, as a priority diversion option to Polsmore Prison. Um, we, we get the girls out of sex trafficking, off drugs, um, high school educated and job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town Flats. Um, we were able to give $5,000. Um, myself and 20 other people gave $5,000 a piece um, in order to build um, proper housing for a, a group of lepers in India. They were untouchable. And so that's what we use that for. And so um, on your way out, stop by. We've got four or five brand new ones since the last time I was here. Everything's available. Everything's available. You can get it right downloaded to your phone. You can get the hard copy. Take the hard copy with you. You can get it on a USB. It's all bundled together. Whatever you're doing is going to help us do our main mission in the world, um, which is to take care of the poor and the afflicted. We are, we are not simply called to wait to go to heaven when we die. That is boring. That is boring. Unless you're 107. If you're 107, you can wait to go to heaven when you die, right? Because it's sort of right around the corner. But if you're not 107... It means you woke up every day with infinite possibilities that God could use uh, with your life. Um, so before we get into this, um, I'd like to give one real authentic invitation um, to uh, tonight's meeting. Um, I, I have something put aside for tonight that I promise you will, will change your life. Um, it, it's, it's a shorter sort of service, so um, my part in it's, you know, 35, 40 minutes or whatever it is. And so the whole service will be about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Um, if, you give us, if, if you give us that, give us that tonight, and, um, and it'll change your life. And, and if it doesn't, if you come tonight and it doesn't, let me just go tell you, I, this is how much I believe in it. I, I will personally, out of my own pocket, I will, I will personally refund Whatever they charged you to come, right? So whatever they, whatever they, whatever they, I don't, I'm not here a lot. I don't know what they charge on Sunday night. I know it's special. So whatever they charge, if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll personally give it back to you out of my own pocket. The church won't have to do anything. I'll do it out of my own. It'll be right out of my own pocket. So I want to, I want to talk to you this morning. I want to speak into, um, into a series that the leadership of this church is, is sort of named this year on empowerment. Um, I, I want to give honor to, to the leaders here, they're my friends, they're my family, um, I love them so much. If, 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 they, if, if I ever quit preaching or something, I would still find a reason to come here for a couple days a year just because I find them so awesome, and um, just, they're just great, great people. And, um, and so you're very privileged to have some of the great pastors in the world right here at Hastings. I mean, that is very privileged. Um, and so... Hang on a second. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not convinced that did what it was supposed to do. Let's see. There you go. Okay, so um, this is Ruth chapter 1. Uh, if, I was gonna, if I was going to um, entitle this something this morning, I would talk about how to be empowered to get your life unstuck. So if you feel a bit stuck, how do you get yourself unstuck? 
Um, I, I, someone in decline, it's not so bad because you can sort of work out why you're in decline and, and fix it. Somebody on the increase, that's fun. But the worst thing for somebody is to feel stuck, like you have no options. I don't, I don't want to look at this by looking at a very ancient story. It's the story of a lady named Ruth. It's an ancient story, and it behaves like an ancient story. So don't be surprised when it behaves like an ancient story, because it's an ancient story. There are things in the book of Ruth that if you don't, if you read the book of Ruth from, from beginning to end, and there's not at least three or four parts of it that make you nauseous, like, I can't believe that ever went on. Just join the crowd. That's how life was back then, okay? And so it's a tragic story. It's a story of ascent. It starts really, really poor and ends really, really good. And in the middle, there's a lot of good things. And then there's some bad things that end up working out for the good. And so you, you have a whole lot of different aspects in this book. I want to start right at the beginning. This is the beginning of the book of Ruth. And it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So, so the book of Ruth is like second judges. It's sometime during the book of Judges. You just don't know when. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The, the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mayan and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. They went to Moab to live there. Now I want to stop right there, and, and I want you to do something that Westerners aren't great at. And I want you to feel that. Oftentimes, Westerners are like, where's the doctrine in this? Where's Jesus? Where's prophecy? Where's the Antichrist, right? We want to know. We want to know what is in it. But I just want you to be a second and, and be emotional, right? Hang on. You got a family of four that doesn't have food. That is stress. That's not just stress. That's distress. And they have they, they have so much lack of food, they actually have to run from their country and take refuge in another country, which happens to be a place that is the most hated group of people by the Jews at this time. This is not just stress. This is distress. And here's the problem. The more you read the story, the worse it gets. Watch what happens. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. This is getting worse. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. An absolute no-no, by the way. Couldn't marry Moabite women. That was against the law. And one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, sometimes the Bible just fast forwards in content, right? Uh, 10 years later, right? If you need evidence that the Bible was put together by men and not women, that's it, right? <laughs> women want all the details, right? Men are like, oh, no, no, 10 years later, it's fine. It's fine. We, we've got the point here. Uh, and, and after they lived there about 10 years, both Mayan and Kilian also died. This is, this is getting worse. Family of four. Not enough food. They take refuge in another country, and then every man in the situation dies. Now, that's sad today, but in that day, that is tragic stuff. Women in those days did not have any rights. I mean, women not attached to men in those days had no rights. Social historians have a name for them. They called them liminal. People, the ancient world didn't know what the women, didn't know what to do with women not attached to men. They had no idea. So you've got a bunch of single women now who were left without their husbands in a, in a situation where there's not enough food. This is bad. Listen, you start adding up the things going wrong in this story, it gets daunting very quickly. Uh, first, they're in the wrong time period. They're in the time of the judges during a famine. Last time on earth you'd ever want to live is the time of the judges. You go get her. That's fine. It's the time of the judges. That would be unbelievable. 
Because people say, let, let me address something that Christians say sometimes. And I think they're well-meaning, but they just don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes I, I, I hear Christians go, oh, can you believe how bad this world's getting? Oh, Shane, can you believe how bad this world's getting? My goodness, Shane, this world's getting so bad. Compared to when? This is the best the world's ever been. Now, is God, is God done finishing, redeeming the world? No, he's not. But is it better than it's ever been? You better believe it. Would you, better, would you rather be a woman today or in 1950? Don't think too hard about that today. Or 1850. Ooh, 1550. My God, is God done redeeming women's rights? No. Is it better than it's ever been? You better believe that. Would you rather have dental work today or 1950? Or 1850? Or 1550? Would you rather have a colonoscopy today? Or 1950? Where they took something about like this. Everybody getting the imagery right there? Everybody got that? Or 1850, where they just sort of had a look. You know? Is God done redeeming medicine? No. Is it better? Yes. Would you rather be black today or in 1950? Or 1850? 1850. Is God done redeeming race relations? No, not even close. Is it better than it's been? Yes. The last time on earth you ever wanted to live is the time of the judges, where it says everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. There's no judicial system. No one, one, one. The strongest overcame the weakest. The people with the most resources and the most mongrel in them, they conquered the people who had the least resources and the least mongrel in them. That's the last time on earth you wanted to live, and especially the last time on earth you wanted to live and be a woman. Adding to the fact not enough food, there would have been all. This is the walking dead sort of stuff without the zombies. This is crazy, crazy stuff. Wrong, wrong time period. She's in the wrong country. She's in Moab. Hated group of people. We'll talk about that in a second. She's the wrong gender. She's a female. Women not attached to men in that day were not considered people. The most rudimentary thing going on in the book of Ruth is, is how can we get Ruth a man? We got to get Ruth a man. How do we get Ruth a husband? Why? Because single women not attached to men in those days, they weren't even people. This is how marriage worked back then. You had your first period, whenever that is, 13, 14, maybe 12. You had your first period, and within three weeks, they had already set aside a guy that you had never met before from another clan and another family, and you were going to marry him because that clan and that tribe and that family had more resources and more weapons. They traded their little girls for protection and food, and that was life. So it tickles me when Christians say, I stand on biblical marriage. Mm, which one? So... <laughs> Anyway, this is the wrong time to be a woman. You don't want to be a woman. They had no rights. And unless you think that is really far-fetched, it wasn't until 1919 that the United States of America thought women were smart enough to vote. Less than 100 years ago, the United States of America said, you know what? We think women are finally smart enough to vote. Unreal. Of course... 
It didn't work out so good. They voted twice, and we had the Great Depression. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. The Great Depression was caused by white men in suits allowing people to buy stock on credit. That's what it was. So anyway, so wrong place, wrong time, wrong gender, wrong race. She's a Moabite. Didn't want to be a Moabite back then. Most hated group of people to the Jews. Uh -uh. She's married to the wrong husband. She's married to Israelite. It wouldn't have been her choice. She was told, you must marry this guy. That's how it worked. Now, here's the thing. Like most, thing in, like most things in the Bible, there's normally a history story underneath the story. And the relieving thing is, is if you just know the history underneath the story, it makes the story make more sense and it makes it better. And it's all kinds of things like the Pool of Bethesda and all the stuff we talked about here, right? Just the story underneath the story often makes the story make more sense. The problem with this story is there is a story underneath the story. The problem is, is when you know it, it makes the story worse, not better, right? So she's got all this stuff going on. The problem is that she's a Moabite. The Moabites were very, very hated. They were so hated, in fact, that the writer of the book of Numbers dedicates four full chapters as to why they're horrible people, right? And, and so because of time and relevance and just the fact that I'm a good communicator, we're not going to read four chapters of the Bible. I will tell the story, I'll tell it well, and then I'll show you little snippets. Essentially, this is what it was. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, one of the first people they ran into was a, was a Moabite king named Balak. And Balak had a problem. Balak had three choices. Choice number one is to receive them into the land. It would have sounded something like this. Hello, welcome. Overpopulation is hardly a problem. Please, settle somewhere. He does not choose that door. Door number two was to attack and kill them. He doesn't choose that option because they outnumbered him greatly. So Balak chooses door number three. Door number three was to hire a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon named Balaam to come and put a curse on the people. Evidently, Balaam was very good at cursing people. And whoever he cursed stayed cursed. And whoever he blessed stayed blessed. So Balak pays Balaam a fee for divination to come and put a curse on people because he needed these people cursed. And the idea was, was if they're cursed, now I might can get them. Now, Balaam shows up to curse the people, right? And then nothing comes out of his mouth except a blessing, which was a shock to Balaam and a shock to Balak. Balak gets utterly irritated by this, has him do it three different times, and every time Balak tr Balaam tries to curse the people, nothing comes out of his mouth except a blessing. This leaves Balak in a real conundrum because now not only are these people not cursed, they're actually blessed. That's a real problem. So he has to come up with another solution. That's the basics of the story. Let me show it to you um, in, in sort of snippet form. This is what it says. And Balak said, uh, a people have come out of Egypt. I want you to notice he didn't even ask who they were. He didn't go say hello. He's making all kinds of assumptions. A people come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on these people. Because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. So the Moabites pay Balaam a fee to come curse, and he shows up, and it doesn't work too well. He tries to curse, but nothing comes out of his mouth except the blessing. Here is the record of that. This is a whole chapter later. So Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing but bless them. And he answered, must I not speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Now, I want to stop and make a point here. 
When Balaam says, I've inquired of the Lord and he put a blessing in my mouth, who is Balaam talking about? He's talking about his God. His God is a God named Ramon, R-I-M-M-O-N. We know that from a later passage. He's a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon. He's inquiring of Ramon. Here's what's happening in this story. Balaam is inquiring of Ramon in order to conjure up a good curse. And the living God of Israel is overstepping all of that and filling his mouth with blessings. Which leads to this question. Is God allowed to fill the mouth of a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon? Now, when I ask you if God's allowed to do that, the answer is? When I ask you if God's allowed to do anything, the answer is? So what's happening in this story is the living God of Israel is stepping over every rule we've ever created about who can be used by God and who can't be used by God. And he's filling the mouth of a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper Ramon and using him to bless people instead of curse people because God loves people more than the rules. That's why. What's happening in this story is a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper Ramon is being used to prophesy blessing over his people. He's never asked Jesus in his heart to be his personal Lord and Savior. He's never been through our foundations courses. He's never been asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's never asked, he's never went through some weird ritual with three old women saying unintelligible things over his head. No, didn't go through that either. A foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and used to prophesy over his people. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules we've ever created. That's why. Heck, if you read this story all the way through, there's even a talking donkey involved. The whole point of the story is God does what he likes. This ticks Balak off. Watch this. Now, when Balaam saw, this is a whole chapter later, by the way. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as he had at other times. What happens in the story is Balaam gets used to cursing people, but he finds that blessing people is funner, so he changes his mind. The theological word for this is repentance, to move your mind to a different way. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, watch what happens. The Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke a message. Hmm. Is God allowed to fill a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon with the Holy Spirit? Even though he didn't ask for it? Even though he's not saved? God uses a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and uses him to prophesy blessings over his people. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules we've created. God loves people more than the rules. If you don't take anything else away from this morning, take this away. God loves people more than the rules. God loves people. Now, this ticks Balak off, and you can understand it. Balak's paid for a good cursing, and there's nothing but a blessing. Watch Balak's response. Then Balak's anger burned against him, and he struck his hands together and said, I summoned you to curse my enemies. Now you've blessed them three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. In other words, I want my money back. Go home. Now, Let's see if you're paying attention. This leaves Balak in a conundrum. Not only are these people not cursed, they're actually... So Balak has to come up with a solution. Now, I'm scanning the room and I see children, okay? And because I see children, I'm going to change my language here, all right? I didn't expect children to be in the service, right? But I'm going to change my language. But I need all the adults to read through what I'm saying because it's part of the story, okay? But I want to honor your 
children by changing my language. What Balak does is he throws an outdoor festival of celebration to the Baal of Peor, the god of fertility. Now, the Baal of Peor receives worship through outdoor public expressions of a certain fertility ritual. <laughs> everybody picking up what I'm putting down? All right, everybody got that? So there was a certain fertility ritual that they're doing outside. Can you believe how bad this world's getting? <laughs> but whatever the worst thing that's going on in Napier tonight is, it's Nickelodeon compared to this, right? <laughs> Balak tells the Moabite women, your job in life is to seduce the Israelite men into participating in this fertility ritual with you. The idea was, if they participate in this outdoor, open-air fertility ritual festival, uh, that their God would turn on them. That is now Balak's only hope. Here's the thing. It worked. This is Numbers 25, the very next chapter. Watch this. While Israel was staying in Shittim. <laughs> now that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. That's funny. That's Guys, when you give in to Moabite fertility rituals, it can put your life in a world of Shittim. <laughs> While Israel stayed in Shittim, the men began to indulge in immorality with Moabite women. Right? You're seeing where this is going. Who invited them to the sacrifice of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. This ends very tragically. Everybody's ticked off. Balak's ticked off. Balaam's ticked off. Donkey's ticked off. God's ticked off, Moses is ticked off, Moabite women are ticked off, everybody's ticked off. It ends very, very tragically, and everybody starts overreacting. Balak overreacts, Balaam overreacts, everybody's overreacting, especially Moses. Moses was given to overreaction. He kills a guy, hides him in the sand. The problem is the next day the sand shifts. You got this leg sticking out of the sand. He strikes rocks instead of speaking to it. Moses was a flawed human being that God used greatly, but he was given to overreaction. As a matter of fact, his overreaction eventually cost him the promised land, right? So Moses completely loses the plot and overreacts. Here's the problem. Where did Moses write his overreaction down? In the Bible. Watch this. This is Moses' overreaction to this incident. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter into the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. No Moabite will ever be welcomed by God. I don't care if we get 10 generations away from this. No Moabite will ever be welcomed by God. That whole thing that happened at Shittim, uh-uh. God does not get over that. No Moabite will ever be welcomed by God. I don't care how far out we get. No way. Now, is that true? No chance that's true. But it's in the Bible. My Bible says, the 
Bible's very clear. No Moabite will ever be welcomed by God. And if my Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it. Is it true that no Moabite will ever be welcomed by God? Do you not believe the Bible around here? Black and white. Right there. No, hey, before you think about this too hard, Ruth is a, yeah, you can see the tension for the Ruth story now. But if Ruth's a Moabite, who else is a Moabite? David, and then who? Jesus. <laughs> no Moabite will ever be welcomed by God. Be careful using your Bible like that. There's a reason you throw up in your mouth when you see a Christian use a Bible with nice, neat little bullet points. Sometimes the Bible's telling you what God said. Sometimes the Bible's just accurately recording what happened. Did God say this? No. Who said this? Moses. Why? He's ticked off. This is an accurate record of what happened. And Moses makes sure you don't forget either. For they did not come out to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor and Aram to pronounce a curse on you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing. Because the Lord your God loves you more than the rules. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Hang on a second. If you're not by law, if you're not allowed to be friends with Moabites, are you allowed to marry them? Can you see the problem this is going to create for Ruth? Ruth is the single bravest person in the entire Old Testament. You're fixing to see why in a second. Now let's go back to the book of Ruth. Now that we understand the history, let's go back to the book of Ruth and see what this does to the story. This is the next verse of the book of Ruth. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. Now, let's make sure we follow this, right? Judah is under what law? Deuteronomy 23. And Deuteronomy 23 says, who's not welcome? Moabites. And who's a Moabite in this story? Ruth. Real problem. There's some tension building. Watch what happens. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. In other words, your only hope for getting married is to go back to a Moabite house because Moabite men care about Moabite women. But in Israel, we're not even allowed to be friends with you. And it had to do with this incident at Shittim. And you had nothing to do with that. But trust me, it's in our Bible. You are not welcome. There is no hope for you to get married in Israel because Israelite men do not associate with Moabite women. As a matter of fact, you're not even allowed in the place. You cannot go back. There is no future. Your only future is to go back to Moabites because Moabite gods care about Moabites and Israelite God cares about Israelites. That's just how it is. The Bible tells me so. Now, at this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Watch this. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Is Naomi the worst evangelist ever? Naomi, go back, uh, Ruth, go back to Moabite uh, families and Moabite gods. Why would Naomi say that? Because the Bible forbidden Moabites. 
And according to the scripture at that time, Moabites are not allowed in the fellowship of God. God is not interested in Moabites. Did Naomi have a reason to tell Ruth to go back? Yes, it was for Ruth's own good. Watch Ruth's response. This is what Ruth is famous for, but if you you don't understand the story, you can't understand how brave this is. Watch this. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth, are you not paying attention? You have a Moabite nose, Moabite accent. Deuteronomy 23 says God's not interested in you. Our Bible clearly says that God is not interested in you because you're a Moabite. I know it has nothing to do with what you did. You, it, it was the shit of incident. You, have no, you had nothing to do with that, but it's unfortunate. But because you're a Moabite, you have a Moabite nose and a Moabite accent, our God's not interested in you. I don't think you're paying attention. Now let me stop and speak slower. Ruth is really, really brave here. I want you to follow me. If Ruth chooses to go back to Israel, all it would have taken is one literalist Bible thumper standing there drawing a line in the sand saying, No! Moabite nose, Moabite accent, she's got Moabite blood, my Bible clearly says she's not welcome in Israel. Get out. If they would have done that to Ruth, would they have been correct according to the scriptures at that time? Yes. But what would have happened? If they throw Ruth out, who's never born? Well, David first and then Jesus. And if Jesus isn't born, who's not sitting here? All of us. Sometimes the people defending the Bible the most vehemently are the very people keeping God from doing what he's trying to do. There's a way you can be right about the Bible and completely miss what the Spirit of God is trying to do. Now let me stop and speak very, very slowly here. Because the church had better get this right. If you're a Pharisee, then there's nothing I can do for you. I'm not clever enough. But if you're a good-hearted person, a good-hearted person will often struggle with the tension. Here's the problem. I love the Bible as much as anybody in this room. I've studied it. I've given my life to communicating it. I love it. Here's the problem. The Bible sometimes, for good-hearted people, puts us unnecessarily at odds with the people we're trying to reach. Here's how it looks. I know I'm called to reach them and love them, but there's something about them that the Bible strictly forbids. And so if I love them too much, am I now violating Holy Scripture? But if I love Holy Scripture too much, am I violating my call to love them? And good-hearted people struggle with that tension all the time. If you've never struggled with that tension, either you're not reading the Bible or you don't care about them, okay? But good-hearted people struggle with that tension. Can I... Please give you a solution to this. And I really believe that this is from the word. This is, this is from, from, it's a wisdom that I got from the spirit of God himself. And I, I could tell you the whole context of it, but I won't. But here's the thing. The church has a decision to make, and it better make the right one. We can either be a group of people who focus entirely on being right about the Bible. Or we can do something far more life-giving and dynamic than that. 
and we can choose to be people who fulfill Scripture. You can either be right about the Bible or you can fulfill Scripture. And to fulfill Scripture is simply this, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in so doing, you fulfilled Scripture. There's a way that you could do something far more dynamic and life-giving than be right about the Bible. There's a way that you can fulfill Scripture. Jesus did it all the time. They brought him someone caught in the act of adultery. What does the Bible say you must do to her? Stoner. Does Jesus stoner? No. Jesus would have got an F in Bible, right? No. Jesus doesn't stoner. Why? Because Jesus loves her more than the rules. And he was more concerned with fulfilling Scripture instead of being right about it. And to fulfill Scripture was what? Do unto her as you would have her do unto you. And if you were caught in adultery, what would you want done to you? You'd want to be let off the hook and you want to be challenged to change your life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus loved her more than the rules. If you want, if you want a summary of Jesus' entire message, message in one sentence is this. God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules. Jesus challenged the Pharisees who were addicted to being right about the Bible. His challenge to them was, don't simply be right about the Bible. Be people who fulfill scripture. And the way you fulfill scripture is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because, yep, thanks. Yep. Because if the Israelites wanted simply to be right about the Bible, they should have thrown Ruth out. But if they throw Ruth out, David, not here. Jesus, not here. You, me, not here. No way. From one moment of choosing to fulfill Scripture instead of being right about it, they changed the entire world. That is huge. Which leads me to this observation. Very practical church application. Is there a group of people that you can think of who feel less than welcome in our church services because the Bible strictly forbids their lifestyle choice. Anybody think of anybody, anybody think of a group of people like that? Like an entire, an entire subgroup of our culture who feel less than welcome in our churches because the Bible clearly forbids their lifestyle choice. Can anybody think of a group of people like that? And of course, I'm talking about the gluttons. The unrepentant overeaters amongst us. The Bible strictly forbids unrepentant overeating 25 times more than it does homosexuality. So I don't know what you were thinking about. I was thinking about unrepentant overeating. So what should the church do if a busload of unrepentant overeaters showed up to come to church here? If an entire busload of gluttons showed up here and wanted to make Bay City their church, what should the church's response be? Right? Should it be this? Hello! You're welcome here. But before you come in, you need to know exactly where we stand on your lifestyle choice and what the Bible says about it. Would we treat a busload of unrepentant gluttons like that? No. We would say, hi, you're welcome. Hide the buffet. <laughs> We would say, hi, you're welcome here. You know what? We're going to love you here exactly where you are, and we're going to expose you to the presence of God. And any convicting and any changing that needs to happen, we're going to leave that in God's hands because God's really flipping good at that, and we're really not. The first question we should ask if a busload of unrepentant overeaters showed up here is not what does the Bible say about gluttony. 
the first question we should ask is, how would I want to be treated if I were them? And if we treat them that way, then we fulfilled scripture instead of simply being right about it. Leave all the convicting and all the changing to God. He's really, really good at it. We're really, really bad at it. (laughs) So, this leaves us with This leaves us with a few questions, which you're just going to have to follow me on. One question the book of Ruth addresses for us, this is our individual application, individual and systemic. If you want to unstick your life, here's what you got to do. You got to believe that God loves people more than the rules, and you have to live with the conviction that we are called to fulfill Scripture, not just be right about it. That will unstick your life spiritually. To just be right about Scripture, very, very, very difficult. It's going to box you in. And plus, no one's really right about the Bible anyway, right? It's too big, right? Right? To, to be dynamic is to wake up every day with infinite possibilities to treat other people how we would want to be treated. And you can unstick your life like that. In the natural, one question the book of Ruth deals with is, am I stuck with my lot in life or can I be empowered by better choices? Ruth was stuck. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong husband. That stuck. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever woke up in the morning and thought, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time and I'm married to the wrong person? That's stuck. Have you ever woke up and thought, oh, another day in Clive. (laughs) Have you ever thought, oh, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then you look over, it's like 5 a.m. And he turns over at just the right time and just the right snore. And he blows all his morning breath over the top of you, you know. And you look and you think, oh, yeah. Till death do us part. That's stuck. One question the book of Ruth addresses is, Can I be empowered by a better choice or am I stuck with my lot in life? Nobody had more excuses to just sit down and give up on life than Ruth. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong husband, wrong race, wrong gender. Even the Bible says I'm not welcome. That is stuck. But she chooses to change her life. What's been your excuse? And is your excuse any less reasonable than hers? She changes her life. Let let me say it this way. Ruth changed her life by doing this, taking her one next step to Bethlehem. She didn't know what two, three, four, five was. She didn't know if they were going to throw her out, stone her, exile her. She had no idea on earth what the future held. Not one. But she chose to take her next one step to Bethlehem with no guarantees of what might happen. And that will unstick your life. And here's the thing. This is so important. Why did Ruth go back to Israel? It was to change her life. Did she? Yes. And she was a little underhanded with it too. Very proactive. Like she gets to Israel and Naomi's like, hey, you see that guy over there? Yep, he's rich. Awesome. You know what let's do? Let's wait till the middle of the night 
get him drunk, and then I want you to do is crawl under the covers with him. He'll get the message. <laughs> it says that she uncovered his feet. Kinky. Ooh, Moaz. Nice toes. <laughs> right? Ruth is very proactive in making this thing happen. And does she change her life? Yes. But what else happened? She changed everything for everybody because of that one act of bravery. Actually, there's a few acts of bravery. For her to go to the threshing floor, she's not allowed. She could have been killed. She is so brave. Her bravery changed her life, but it also changed everything for everybody. We're still here today doing what we're doing because of that one act of bravery. She changed her world, which leads me to a few questions. What's been your excuse? What's been your excuse? Oh, it's my heritage, you know, my DNA, my background, shame or stand, my place of birth. Place of birth. Listen, if you were born in New Zealand, shut up. Like, when I hear New Zealanders complain about New Zealand, I'm like, what the heck, man? If you can't make it here, where are you going to go? You live in a nation with motor cars and paved roads and stores that prepackaged food for you. Clean water in your taps, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class health care right down the road. What the heck? You live in one of the top five greatest nations on earth. If you can't make it here, let me be clear. Where the heck do you think you're going to go? You understand a diagnosis. They tell me I'm depressed. I must act depressed. Here's the problem. They told you you're depressed because you went in their office and told them you're depressed. Maybe we believe the wrong story or our excuses other people won't approve. Listen, if all we do is make excuses, we'll never unstick our life. To unstick your life, you've got to believe that God loves people more than the rules. You have to choose to be people who fulfill scripture and not just be right about it. And you've got to wake up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for you and take your one next step to Bethlehem, regardless of what it might bring. There are some things that will stick your life. Four, one, excuses that will stick your life. Two, living with only other people's expectations in mind. If all you consider is what other people might think of you, that will stick your life. Now, let, be, let me be very clear. If you never consider what other people are thinking, that makes you a psychopath. But if you only consider what other people think, it'll ruin your life. There's a great quote that was on a better slide <laughs> by Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton is a Catholic theologian, philosopher guy, brilliant. Here's what he said. How can you ever expect to arrive at your destination if you're always on the road to another man's city? In other words, if all you consider is what other people are thinking, you can't be surprised when you arrive that you're where they want you to be and not where you need to be. You want to stick your life? Excuses. Only considering other people's expectations. Three, believing the wrong story. Here's the problem for Ruth. For Ruth, the wrong story was where? Deuteronomy 23. And what Ruth had to do is she had to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of a list of rules. She changed her life. Fourth thing that will stick your life is unforgiveness and bitterness. Nobody had a reason to be 
unforgiving and bitter towards their lot in life than Ruth. No one had more of a reason than her. No one had a better reason to look at the sky and use her middle finger in that general direction and say, Really? You think you're funny? <laughs> wrong place, wrong time, wrong race, wrong gender, wrong husband. Even your Bible says I'm not welcome. Nobody had more of a reason to be bitter at God than Ruth. But she didn't. She chose to make a better choice. She chose to put her faith in the character of a loving God than in the list of rules that someone else created. That makes her flipping heroic. Now, you want to unstick your life. A couple things. One, spiritually. Be people who believe that God loves people more than the rules. Two, above all things, be people who fulfill Scripture and not simply be right about it. If somebody comes in and the Bible forbids their lifestyle, don't be people who slam them with the Bible. Be people who treat them how you would want to be treated. Let God do all the convicting and all the changing. Let Bay City Outreach Center, let this, let this church be the place where all the unrepentant overeaters of New Zealand know they're welcome. Third thing you could do to unstick your life, very simple. Wake up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for you and take your one step you know to do. Don't wait on step three or four. Take the one step right in front of you. Just that one step right in front of you could change your life. It'll unstick your life. You wake up every day taking that one next step, which leads me to this question. What is your one next step? Maybe your one next step is vocational. Occasionally, I feel, I'm very careful to use this word, but Occasionally, I feel a certain unction prophetically. And I'm fixing to say something. I feel like it's a prophetic word for the room. And let me give some rules on this. When I say this, if your heart leaps inside of you, it's for you. If I say it and there's nothing, don't worry about it. I never want to manipulate God. I only want to cooperate with what he's already doing. Okay, ready? Listen up. If your heart jumps, this is for you. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Ready? Start the business. You're not stuck in your job. Oh, Shane, I just feel so stuck. I feel so stuck in my job. I feel so stuck in my job. You ain't stuck. This is New Zealand. Start the business. What's the worst thing that can happen? You start the business and it doesn't work. If you start the business and it doesn't work, guess what you get to do? You get to go back to the job you hate. So when the worst thing that can possibly happen is already happening, it's nowhere but up from there. Get it going. Take a risk. Take a step. Go for it, man. Maybe your next one step is spiritual. Maybe you need to trust Jesus today. Maybe you've been writing your own life story and you need to trust the version of your life story Jesus has written for you because it's better. Maybe you need to have a moment today where you can unstick your life by simply putting your trust in Jesus' version of your life story instead of your own. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your next one step is relational. Tell them how you feel. And be normal. Don't have your eye twitch when you do it. And under no circumstances say, God said. I'm 41. I'm single. I travel the world. Sometimes single women take that as a cue from God that we're going to be together. 
And when they say it that way, I'm serious, they'll come right up to that table and go, I think God told me we're going to be together. That evokes an immediate visceral retreat response. Tell them in such a way that if the circumstances aren't exactly right, you can still be friends and then maybe one day. Just be normal. Hello. You seem like the type of person I'd like to get to know better. When it's convenient, I'd love to have a cup of, co a cup of coffee with you to get to know you better. That's normal. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? She throws up in her mouth a little. Then. You tell her how you feel, and she's like. <laughs> well, if that happens, at least you know. Maybe your one next step. Maybe your one next step is this. A text, an email, a phone call that says this. I forgive you. Dad, what you did was wrong, and we're not going to do that again. But you don't owe me. I forgive you. Mom, what you did was wrong. We're not going to do that again. But I forgive you. You don't owe me. Ex-husband, no way. But I forgive you. You don't owe me. Ex-wife? Not a chance. <laughs> but I forgive you. Ex-business partner? It was wrong. But I forgive you. M maybe your one next step is spiritual. Maybe you've been sitting on the fence around here. This place is packed this morning. You're almost at a point where you need two services, almost. There's a lot that could be done. Nickelodeon could be built for the children. Maybe you're going to be really good at that. Maybe you're really gifted at the music. Careful with that one. If you're not sure, get it checked out first by somebody not named Mom. Maybe you're really friendly. I can tell you what isn't. I tell you what is sticking is when you just sit on your butt waiting to go to heaven when you die. That's stuck. Maybe you can unstick your life this morning by your one next step is making a phone call or a text to one of these pastors or an email that says, I don't know where I fit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to say yes to the infinite possibilities God has for my life, and my one next step is getting involved here. Maybe that's your next step. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know there is one, and you should take it. So my brothers and sisters of Hastings and Clyde, may, may you be people who fulfill scripture, not simply be right about it. May you realize that God loves people more than the rules for you and for them. And may you wake up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for your life. And more than anything, more than anything at all, empower your life by taking your one next step to Bethlehem. No excuses, no other people's expectations holding you back, no bitterness, no believing the wrong story. You put your faith in a loving God instead of a list of rules, and you take your one next step to Bethlehem. I can't wait to see you tonight, everybody. Until I see you then, grace and peace. God bless.
Well, it's fantastic. How many enjoyed that? Amen. No reason for staying stuck. If you're stuck, do something. Amen. That's fantastic. We really thank you, Shane. Just a tremendous message. And uh, what, a, what an opening up of the scripture, showing uh, a level beyond just reading it superficially. I encourage you as you read the Bible to look beyond the superficial. Look to what it meant to the people who were involved in that situation. Where you can't just look through Western eyes. We have to look, what did it mean for these people? What were they doing? What did it cost them? And then how can it apply to us? I just love it. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Shane, for coming. We so value your friendship. We value coming back year after year. And we realize you could be in much, 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 much bigger churches in many parts of the world. And you turn down invitations to them to be with us because of relationship. And so we want to honor you because of that. We really love you. You're part of the family. And uh, church, one way we can honor people, and the Bible tells us to uh, honor those who labor among us. And uh, Shane has labor. This is how his income comes, is by offerings he receives. So I encourage you to consider how you can sow into his ministry, not just through buying yourself books. That All of that money will go to the poor, but to sow into him and his support to travel to different places. And uh, let's be generous from Bay City like we always are. We're going to stand, take up an offering. If you make an offer, if you, if you uh, sow into the offering, uh, and have to write a check, make it out to Bay City. Everything we get goes to him, and then we add some to it as well. If you haven't come prepared, but are coming tonight prepared to give, that's fine. Then uh, come along tonight prepared to give. We'll have a special offering for him. And uh, if you are unable to do any of those things, you could write an IOU, put your name and a phone number on it, and just honor that commitment. We're not going to run around after you, but we will honor it uh, to him, and uh, you then honor it because you wrote it down and gave your word. Amen. So let's just consider how we can be generous and so, and uh, thank God for the blessings. One of the greatest ways you honor people is uh, not just by giving to them, but by taking what they've gained from God through revelation and then applying it to your life. It becomes a living legacy then. That is one of the greatest honors you can give. So right now, let's just stand. Have a fantastic day today. we we'll see you back tonight. And thank you, worship team. Let's celebrate as we give today.